You know, everybody sees the success stories and they think that it was just an overnight success or they went from one to a hundred overnight. And it's, it, it's never like that. It always starts really small. Uh, you know, a lot of times in a in very unsophisticated operation, you're just taking that next step. And so that's what it was for me. Welcome to Invest for the Win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb. On today's show, we have Alex Upperman of 12 Oak Capital. Alex has a really cool story around growing and selling e-commerce businesses, using those proceeds and investing in commercial real estate, and now has a portfolio as a general partner of over 700 million. It's just a fascinating conversation uh, to talk with Alex, and he's such a, an intelligent investor. Uh, when it comes to real estate, business in general, you're gonna get a lot out of this episode. I am looking forward to the feedback, enjoy. Welcome back to another show of Invest for the Win. Today, I have a special guest, Alex Upperman of 12 Oak Capital. And today, we're talking about entrepreneurship, active and passive investing, and so much more. You know, Alex is founder and managing partner at 12 Oak Capital, which is a real estate firm partnering with best in class operators to bring private real estate deals to those seeking access to alternative investments. And Alex is a GP general partner. If you've listened to this podcast enough, you probably know the terminology by now, in over 40 multifamily properties. And that totals over 8,000 units and a portfolio value in excess of 700 million. So listen closely today because there's not that many people that have had access and been exposed to that many different transactions um, in, in on the show. So this is going to be a really, a really, really great one. But you know, in, inside of that, I, I would say this. You know, in, in addition to Alex's real estate investing activities, he's founded and grown five separate e-commerce companies that have reached seven and eight figures in revenue. And those companies have generated a combined revenue of over $200 million. His flagship company, Zao Nutrition, was sold to a publicly traded company in 2017. So um, I'm a business uh, nut when it comes to understanding entrepreneurship. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Alex graduated summa cum laude. From Missouri State University with a degree in finance and minors in economics and accounting. He lives here in Kansas City with his wife, Shauna, and his son, Truett. Uh, he spends time, you know, playing golf. Uh, I've got the pleasure of, of playing golf with Alex a couple times. He's much better than me, so we'll just leave it at that uh, before I get too competitive here. But Alex, man, that's a, you know, a good overview. It's brief um, of who you are and kind of, of some of your expertise, but I really want to just kind of get back to that starting point of when you got started in business, take us back to the, to the journey. Cause I know it definitely didn't start there, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I was, I wasn't one of those guys that had their first, you know, business at four and their second business at seven. Like you hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, my path was a little bit different. I took, uh, I really fell in love with saving at a really young age. I remember when I, my mom set me up with an allowance of, I think it was, it was $2 a week when I was like four or five years old and she opened a savings account for me. And honestly, I just remember it clicking of like, I, I didn't want to spend the money. I wanted to save it. And then as I got to high school, 
I started reading investing books and I opened a, you know, a stock account when I was probably 14, started investing in the market and, you know, just consuming anything I could around investing and finance and building wealth and compounding wealth. And so that was really my interest. Um, so when I got to college, you know, I focused on finance and I really thought my path was going to be, you know, working on Wall Street or, or doing something in the financial industry. And I wasn't really thinking uh, along the lines of, being an entrepreneur or owning my own business, I really thought my ticket was going to be, uh, you know, working for a, a large investment bank or bank or financial company. And so I kind of fell into entrepreneurship my senior year of college. Um, I had a, a, a friend that, uh, you know, sold books online and had a bookstore as well. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that, that's something that I could do kind of on the side. And so I'd get out of class and I would, I would literally drive around Springfield, Missouri, going to thrift stores and garage sales and really anywhere where I could find used books to sell on, on Amazon. And, uh, you know, that started to do pretty well and make you know, some good side income. And uh, when I graduated, you know, kind of had the summer off before I was going to go, you know, start, you know, kind of in the corporate world that fall. And so I really, that summer, just decided to focus on the business full time and the business started to, to really take off. I started to, to sell other things besides books. And so I uh, made the decision pretty quickly of like, okay, I, I'm, this, is, this is going well enough that let me just put, um, you know, kind of the corporate world on pause and let me focus on this business. And so, you know, over the next several years, I built that business up. It was, it was really a wholesale business. I would, I would buy and sell pretty much anything under the sun that I could get my hands on uh, online. Um, and then in 2014, transitioned again to building my own brands and, uh, you know, made that leap of, of going from, you know, selling other companies' products to, to building my own brands and, and, and creating my own products. And so that was a, a big pivotal moment for, for me. And um, yeah, I've really just spent the last 10, 12 years uh, living and breathing in the e-commerce space and the real estate space, uh, which which kind of came along um, around 2015. So, yeah, well, really interesting, and I I kind of share the same sentiment. My mom, you know, really taught me how to save as well. You know, when I was 14 years old, I got started working, and I just put all that money, you know, away. And and I remember when I was 15, starting my first Roth IRA. <laughs> Believe it yep. or not, so um, I was definitely on the Dave Ramsey saving uh, plan too. And I think that that just, uh, it, it piqued my interest of, okay, you know, I can save the rest of my life, but how do we actually start creating wealth? And and that's one thing that you touched on as, as well. My wife and I and the kids just got back from uh, a wedding down in Branson, Missouri. And so drove through uh, Springfield and, and uh, you know, I almost played football there. So we got some commonalities there too. Ended up in Warrensburg, but uh, Missouri State was a, a really uh, top choice for me as well. But, you know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about was, look, I mean, you've got an extensive background in, in kind of growing these companies in entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, what what about e-commerce really kind of uh, piqued your interest? You know, what was it? Was there facets of that business uh, that really, you know, you thought that you could excel in? Or was it just kind of up and coming and saying, look, you know, I can build a a business and be able to scale it somewhat quickly um, online rather than maybe having like a bricks and mortar type of, uh, you know, organization or business. Talk to us a little bit about what, why e-commerce? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was because I could start it with no, basically no capital. You know, I was literally from the beginning, you know, at the very beginning, I was going to thrift stores and garage sales and I was buying stuff for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, right? And selling for 20, 30, 40 dollars. Um, and Amazon, you know, a, a lot of success, right, is luck and timing. Um, and there's also, you know, preparation that goes into that. And but you know, for me on the luck side. It just happened to be around the time that Amazon was really coming into its own. They had just recently launched what was called the Fulfillment by Amazon program, where you could ship in all your inventory to them and they would store it. They would ship it to the end customer. So here was a business that like I could just do myself. I didn't need to go out and raise capital and hire a bunch of people. And, you know, um, it, it was just a it was it was just something that could I could start just relatively easily. Right. And, um, and then once you've got your foot in the door, then it was like, okay, well, how do I grow this? How do I scale this? And you, you know, you're just kind of going brick by brick, you know, everybody sees the success stories and they think that it was just an overnight success or they went from one to a hundred overnight. And it's, it, it's never like that. It always starts really small. Uh, you know, a lot of times in a in very unsophisticated operation, and you just you're just taking that next step, and so that's what it was for me. Is is um, you know, it was right place, right time, um, and then I was able to ride that that Amazon wave uh, over over the last decade, which has been a tremendous wave as more and more people have shopped online and and uh, you know moved their their uh, purchases there. So, well, I definitely remember reading uh, the book around uh, and about Jeff Bezos and uh, the Everything Store. I think is what it's called. It's a great book, and I've definitely uh, thought that that guy. Uh, his vision for business and just life in general was was larger than life. But now we're seeing him even get into the real estate space. We'll touch on that here very soon. But what was that pivotal moment that you said, okay, you know, I'm going to stop, you know, maybe you know, working through the Amazon fulfillment store and and doing books and other products and actually start building your own brand. Like, what was that that moment? And and talk to us about what clicked to say, okay, um, maybe I can take that next step because that's that's a lot different than a wholesale business, right? Is, is building your own brand, building your own products. I know you guys do that as well. So talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, I was really head down building the resale business and we got it up to, to seven figures within a couple of years. But, um, you know, I was always looking for ways to scale that. And I had joined kind of a, a mastermind of other people doing had to, with similar businesses online. And through that mastermind, um, I met somebody who was, who was creating their own brands, leveraging Amazon. And so I was like, I, up to that point, I had never, it had never occurred to me like, oh, there, there's people like me out there who, but instead of reselling, they're just creating their own, their own brands. Um, and so whenever he's telling me this, it just, the light bulb went off. I was like, that is a much better business model. It's much more scalable. And it would give me an asset that I could, I could sell, right? Because with reselling, it's great cash flow business, but you're not really building a sellable asset. Right. You're just generating cash flow. You know, you go out and buy something for X, so you sell it for Y. You do that over and over. And I was always grinding to go find the next good, uh, you know, inventory source. And so, uh, and I was butting up against that ceiling of, of, of revenue, right? Of where it's like, I just don't know how I can scale this, you know, five, 10 X. Um, and so when he's telling me about this, this business model of creating your own brands, I was like, that's it. That's what I need to pivot to. And I just knew. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt that that was that was the pivot I needed to make. 
I already understood Amazon and knew the platform. So it was still leveraging that, but it was, it was transitioning to learning how, okay, how do I, uh, you know, how do I source the products? How do I, you know, build a brand? How do I market it, et cetera. Um, and so that was really the pivotal moment. And in my mind, it was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go out and find any of the, all the resources that I could, could get around that opportunity, talk to all the people I need to, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to start doing it and I'm going to start testing and seeing what works. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the big moment in 2014. Yeah. You know, I've read a lot of books and, and, and it's really interesting to me, Seth Godin and Donald Miller about brand and, you know, the purple cow and, and building a story brand are two of my favorites from, uh, from those two authors. But, you know, what, what about building a brand um, have you seen be successful? How do you create raving customers? Because that really is, you know, where you can start to, to break through that glass ceiling, so to speak. And, and you, you, you know, the whole world can be your, your, your marketplace if you build that brand. But what, what about, you know, building a brand? Have you seen successful? I mean, how do you create raving fans that are looking for your product and are willing to pay maybe even more um, for your product versus maybe a competitor? Mm -hmm. For us, you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of paths up the mountain when it comes to building a brand. What worked for us um, was determining where is there already demand for products, identifying those opportunities, and, and specifically looking for opportunities where there it wasn't oversaturated with competition, and then looking for a way where we can we can do it better, right? So not reinventing the wheel, not coming up with you know some you know, innovative new product that's never been done before, but taking what's already working out in the marketplace and making it better. So, you know, better packaging, but for us, it was a supplement company, a better, a little bit better formula, uh, better branding, better customer service, you know, better images, you know, it's more eye-popping um, product page, right. To have a better conversion rate. So it was just, it was doing all the little things a little bit better than the competition. Um, and that's what, you know, that's how we were able to find success. And then it's just rinsing and repeating, right? Once, you, once you've got an established, uh, once you've established yourselves in the market, then, you know, really it's just extending your product line and, and finding what else do your customers want? What else are they looking for? And then bringing that to market. So true, man. I mean, we talk a lot about the five commandments of, of business. There needs to be a need for what you're doing. The barrier of entry needs to be somewhat high. You need to be able to have control of it, uh, whether that be supply chain or whatever in your own business. Um, and you have to be able to scale it and step away from your time. And I'm hearing you talk through a lot of those different commandments that you're, you know, that I'm so used to, you know, thinking back to when I think about a new business opportunity. And uh, then I thought you think about Perry Marshall, who wrote a lot of great books, and he's kind of an online marketer. And he talks about this customer service, it's the product pages, and I'm putting myself into the consumer's hat and saying, okay, well, when I'm on Amazon, or I'm on a website, what what's getting me to, to click through? And what's getting me to actually, you know, uh, buy the product? And I think about First Form, because they're a supplement company that I uh, am, am, you know, very involved with, in, you know, in their product line, uh, for sure. And what's the brand? Well, it's Andy Frisella. And, you know, I use the power list every single day uh, in our own business to, to make sure that I'm doing the, the five critical tasks, right? These are all things. I mean, and he's built a brand 
brand out in St. Louis that now has raving fans, like him or hate him, whatever. Um, the product is clean-ish, uh, and I feel good about it. And that's that's what spoke to me. And so, um, you know, we talk a lot about what's the avatar that you're really trying to go through. And I'm guessing that you and, and uh, you know, your business partners have really, you know, honed in who that avatar is and, and spoken to them uh, specifically, because you can't just go out there and just, you know, spray out, you know, something to, to everybody. You're not going to capture everybody and you're probably going to lose most people. But, you know, even like in real estate investing, when we go do multifamily versus industrial versus retail versus an office building, um, there's typically an avatar for each one of those individuals, you know, that that like that product type or have had experience with that or maybe they don't have you know an allocation to that asset type and they want to diversify so you know just being able to speak to that i think that goes back to to brand and why that's so important in regards to building a, an online business and any business really uh in general so thank you for sharing that man that's, those are great uh great feedbacks and, and, and great tidbits of of knowledge and i would say too you know maybe you have a different you know uh thought process around that but you know, as an entrepreneur and somebody looking to get started, I mean, you you just spoke into, you know, reality, what a lot of people are are saying, you know, is, look, I can get online and I can create a business, but I have to get around people that are going to spark interesting ideas that then create the opportunity for me to think differently about something. And you capitalized on that. Any thoughts around like, Right now, you know, if you're a, a budding entrepreneur or somebody that's interested in entrepreneurship or building a business, you know, speak to the, the timing right now with all of the things that we have access to versus maybe 25 years ago or even our parents whenever they were, were kind of getting started in the industry, man. Is it a better time or is it harder now? Is it more competitive? Uh, I mean, I think it's it, it, it's better, right? I mean, his, it, it, if you go back in time, right, like if you're starting a business, it was really, you're really just serving the local market um, and it required businesses were much more analog and physical, right? Whereas now with the world being, um, you know, so, so global connected and, and via the internet, like you can start so many businesses from the comfort of your home, right? And you can reach a, a worldwide uh, audience, right? So, yeah, I think it's just figuring out what your skill set is, um, what you can offer the world and what the world is going to pay you for. Um, and then just getting started, right? Like, I think some people think, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, uh, you know, hype around having like, you know, some genius startup idea and going out and raising a bunch of capital and doing all that. But like, that's such a small percentage of the entrepreneur world, right? Like a lot of great businesses are started just somebody um, going out and, and starting a business like I did, right? With a little bit of capital and just getting their foot in the door with a business and then letting um, doors open and, and, and going through them. Absolutely, man. So fast forward to 2017, you've built a, a business and you sell that business, right? And um, you're you're probably sitting on a decent amount of capital saying, okay, well, what do I do now, right? And so take us to that moment in your journey of, okay, you know, it's 2017, you've built a successful business, you've exited that business. Uh, is it, I'm going to grow and start or start and grow more businesses, but also I believe this is probably the time when you started getting involved in real estate. So how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, going back to, to earlier, I had always been in, really interested in investing, um, you know, particularly in the stock market, but always knew I wanted to get into real estate. And so in 2014 is when I started buying single family homes, you know, I had uh, the business was doing well, so I had cash flow. And so started with single family, then we started pretty quickly moved into smaller multifamily 
Um, and then shortly thereafter, I discovered syndications and just investing passively in syndications. So when I sold the business, you know, I had been grinding for, for seven years and just, and just working a ton of hours. I was, I was pretty burnt out. And, you know, now I had a pool of capital where it was like, okay, probably my highest and best use of time is uh, just being a good investor and deploying this capital, right? I don't necessarily need to go grind and work the 90 hours, 90 hours a week to build the next business. I still wanted to build other businesses. Um, but now that I had the capital base, it, it, it really, the attention shifted to becoming a really good investor and real estate was where I, I chose to focus. Cause I just felt like that was the space where I could generate, you know, um, really good returns and also get tax benefits, also get cash flow. It just checked all the boxes. And so, um, that's where I chose to really focus my attention from an investing standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I second that and, and agree with that in a lot of different ways. Especially, you know, I mean, just being able to to stay in your circle of competency and and be able to understand the investment uh, opportunity that uh, you know presents itself. So, um, just on the real estate side uh, of things, you know, you have done active investing. You you've owned single family homes. You've owned multifamily where you were, you know, kind of on the active side. Um, solely yourself, and you've also uh, done passive investments, and now you're kind of in that general partnership seat as well, but you have teams that you partner up with. So talk to us about how that journey has gone and, and where you're at now, and, and, and you know how do you pick? Um, so let's start there, and then we'll, we'll go to how do you pick the markets and the teams that you're um, you know going to start working with, right? So um, let's talk about that secondly. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when it comes to real estate, I think first you got to pick a lane to focus on in terms of, of asset class. And so I, you know, I chose to focus on multifamily years ago because I just saw the, the tailwinds in that space. And just like in the business world, I've always tried to find spaces where there's tailwinds, right? With e-commerce, there was this huge tailwind as more and more people yeah. shop online and uh, in particular used Amazon. So I rode that, I rode that wave. And in the real estate side, it, there was just a huge, um, a huge tailwind behind the multifamily space. And so that's where I, I chose to focus. Um, and then of course, the operator is a huge component and the market's a huge component. So I think if you can really dial in those three things, the, the asset class that you're investing in and making sure there's tailwinds there, having a good operator who's experienced and, and, and can execute on the business plan, and then a market, right? It doesn't need to be... Uh, you know, the hottest market in the country. In fact, I generally avoid those markets, especially the last couple of years as they've gotten, you know, too hot. Um, but a market that's business friendly, that uh, has positive population growth, positive job growth, um, you can avoid a lot of a lot of headaches and a lot of mistakes if you if you focus on those things. On the operator side, are are these coming through mostly relationships? I mean, the the bets that you're making um, on operators have to be really, really clear, and you have to feel very confident on that. And I know in my in my own experience, if we're going to partner up with somebody, it's usually from a relationship standpoint, not hey, I like the asset class, I like the market, then I'm going to go find the operator. Typically, I find boots on the ground that I have a relationship with, and then they they probably bring me into a new market or bring a new opportunity to me. Has it been the same uh, experience for yourself? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I really just partner with, with, you know, a few operators who I feel extremely comfortable with. Um, I've, I've worked with them, uh, you know, a number of times, 
you know, I've invested with them passively before I partnered with them actively. I saw how they worked. I saw how they communicated. I saw how they executed. And, you know, for me, if I'm going to bring a deal to my network, right, I, I'm not just going to go partner with some, some guy I barely know just because he's got a deal in the multifamily space in a market I like, right? Like there has to be, there has to be more than that. There's got to be that, that trust and that rapport has to be established. And I have to know that it's somebody who can execute, who can navigate, you know, challenging, uh, you know, challenging environments, right? It, it, we haven't had to deal with that a whole lot the last, you know, uh, five to 10 years, but that's going to come, right? And so you need to, you need to be working with someone who you feel confident is going to be able to navigate that. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes either you've made or you've seen with people getting into real estate investing or business? It, it can be either. Um, I mean, on the real estate side, um, you know, I, I, for me personally, a mistake was, it probably wasn't a mistake in the grand scheme of things, but when I was buying smaller multifamily, um, just actively and managing those myself, I mean, I had a third party management company, but it took a ton of my time. Um, and so and it, it just, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, right? I was, I, I discovered pretty quickly that I could generate better returns just being, you know, a passive in, in larger multifamily syndications. Um, and so it was, it, there was a lot of lessons learned there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say I, I totally agree. One of the sayings that I have is um, there's nothing passive about actively investing in real estate. And, you know, even if you have the best of the best third party property management company, it still takes a lot of time if you want it to be successful. Now there may be, you know, some single tenant uh, net lease deal, 25 year lease that you don't have to do much on. And that's probably okay. Um, in some, in some situations, if you find the right opportunity, but you know, there's a lot of folks kind of getting started in real estate always, right? But also when it's doing really well, many people jump in and they're like, well, where do I get started? And how do I get started? And I think people grossly underestimate the time it takes to be a successful operator and investor in the space to be able to actually understand and evaluate risk um, on a very deep level uh, is, is not an easy thing to do. And it takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of transactions. It takes a lot of time. And so if you can put yourself around folks that are already operating, already, uh, you know, been in the business, Business for some time or staffed up to, to have um, resources to be able to, to handle those things. A lot of folks, I think, are actually better off being passive investors, even if they want to believe that they're they're active investors. So we have a lot of conversations around that and done a lot of re you know, research and, and presented a lot of uh, you know, webinars and presentations to our investor group because many folks will reach out to me saying, I'd like to do what you're going to do. You know, I'm, okay, that's great. Let me tell you what it takes to, to kind of do that, you know, and then after, you know, three or six months, they're like, yeah, you know, I think I'm probably just going to stay, you know, on the passive side. But with the Jobs Act of 2012, if you have the ability to bring things to the table through these larger deals, you can get involved if you're materially adding value. Obviously, you want to stay compliant with the SEC and all these different things. But if you have the opportunity to sign on loans or bring risk capital or find a deal, uh, there are partners out there that are willing to, to do some of the other things that maybe you're not, uh, you know, staffed up to do. So um, I would just say, think about that. Um, you know, and find where your sweet spot is and try to find partners. That's what's been so helpful and successful uh, for our company. I know for, for yourself as well, especially throughout your whole journey. So appreciate you sharing that. Fun question I always like to ask is, you know, today, you know, hypothetically speaking, if you could allocate $100 million of equity somewhere, where where would you allocate that to, Alex? 
Yeah. Um, it would probably be around 30, 35% in, in, in equities. Um, I would, I, within that bucket, you know, go low cost index funds. Maybe you sprinkle in a couple high conviction stocks. Um, I lean more towards tech and growth because I think that's where the strongest returns are going to be over the next decade. Um, and then probably 30 to 40% in real estate. And, you know, back to your original point, your, your last point, like, you know, pick your lane. Are you going to be actively doing it? Um, if you're not, you don't have the time to dedicate to that, then find really good operating partners that you can, that you can uh, leverage, right. And leverage their time. Um, and then I would probably allocate five to 10% in, in crypto only if you believe in it and have an understanding of what you're investing in. I'm personally a believer in, in some of what's going on in that space and think that, um, if you can stomach the volatility, then that's going to give you, you know, some of the most asymmetric returns that you can that you can achieve in the portfolio. You don't need to allocate more than that because if it does play out how I think it'll play out over the next 10, 20, 30 years, then um, it, that it'll move the needle at, we, even with a smaller allocation. Um, and then if you have access to private equity deals, you know that there's another 10% or so. And then it's always good to hold some cash. So have some cash on the on the balance sheet to be able to take advantage of, of opportunities as they come up. I don't know if that gets us to 100%, but it got, has to get us somewhere in the vicinity. It's really close. And I will tell you that uh, um, people should listen to that because uh, being diversified across things that you understand or you see trends around being uh, diversified is extremely important in today's uh, marketplace. And, you know, I, I have uh, done my own research on crypto. You and I have had conversations on the golf course about it. And uh, when I read uh, Bridgewater's, you know, and Ray Dalio's kind of evaluation of, of crypto, it really kind of, you know, he's got a little book out there. Go buy that book. I mean, if you want to understand, you know, how he's thinking about it and how real large investors, institution, you know, style investors are thinking about it, it breaks it down. And uh, it was really helpful for me to understand that. And I have a lot of different you know, inputs coming in where I listen to different folks and, and um, you know, there's, there is a trend there and, and it's actually affecting commercial real estate as well on the blockchain. There's, there's a lot of different real estate offerings um, that are coming there. So technology is going to disrupt, continue to disrupt. And the commercial real estate is just one of those older, uh, you know, kind of uh, older markets. It takes some time for it to infiltrate, mostly because it's, it's got a lot of complex players that have to be on board with certain, you know, certain different offerings. But um, we're starting to see that uh, come true. So I definitely want to stay on the forefront of that and, and understand how it's going to impact commercial real estate uh, as a whole. And when I saw Jeff Bezos, um, you know, launching and getting into single family homes, I think people should should look at that and, and they should say, OK, you know, um, that's a really interesting you know, opportunity because when Amazon or Google or Apple make a big play, can you imagine the amount of resources they have put into making that decision? You know, and typically it's something that they might know that uh, maybe the general marketplace doesn't. And so we start to see a lot of different uh, folks kind of attracted to that uh, that sector, right? And so it's, it's really interesting to see uh, Amazon getting into that spot. And I was 
you know, speaking to some large industrial developers recently and, and how I think that Am they were talking about how Amazon uh, potentially could start to maybe try to own their own industrial real estate. And that's really kind of an interesting play that will be a big shakeup in the uh, in the commercial real estate world as well. So it's really um, fascinating to watch these big everything stores get into, you know, certain markets that we're involved in. And, you know, I, I like it. I think it, it brings exposure, but it also brings um, you know, a technology play, which I think is is right for our industry. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Now, when we talk about predictions, I mean, we are sitting here, it's October now, we're going into the fourth quarter, or we are in the fourth quarter of 2022. You know, what, uh, what might be some of your top predictions in the commercial real estate space? You know, everybody's talking about the interest rates, everybody's talking about multifamily and how it's going to be impacted and, and, and the debt markets and capital markets. But anything that's like peaking your you know, main interest or red flags or, or predictions that you're thinking about um, that might uh, maybe other investors aren't. You know, I know that you read a lot and are very well in, in tune with a lot of these things, especially as, a, as an active GP on deals you have to be. So just curious to get your thoughts around predictions in commercial real estate and the capital markets right now. Yeah, I mean, I think now is the time to be cautious. I think a lot of people, um, you know, times have been really, really good and every nobody wants the music to stop. And so they're continuing to, you know, um, continue to do to do deals. And, and, and at the same time, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, in, in real estate and multifamily over the next, again, there's tremendous tailwinds in the space, but in the near term, interest rates are going to act as a big headwind. And so I think there's going to be situations over the next year where you have deals that um, have to be sold because bridge rent, the, the bridge loans coming due and um, or guys that bought, you know, deals a couple of years ago without a rate cap. And now their rate is 8% um, or there's capital calls that are needed, just things that haven't happened over the last decade. I think we're going to start to see some of over the next year. And so there's going to be opportunity, right? For those who are, who are patient and, and cautious, um, you know, there's definitely going to be some opportunity. You're already seeing pricing adjust to reflect the rise in interest rates. And so, um, yeah, it's still a place that I want to continue to deploy, but I'm just being more, more cautious, more selective and keeping extra dry powder than I have over the last several, several years, because I fully expect there to be some you know compelling opportunities over the next 12 12 months yeah uh, that sentiment I've, I've i've definitely second and and have heard quite a bit you know if if you're talking to a passive investor right now let's say you launch a new project and you know um they're asking you questions about economics and and finance you know and and, and rates and things like that um you know my my thought process is well look you know i mean you have to be you know, in a, in a market you understand, you have to have a good basis. Um, there needs to be good tailwinds on the asset class specifically. Um, but, you know, what I've heard, you know, quite a few uh, investors that I've talked to recently, you know, they store their wealth or their cash in the stock market. And so, you know, when that drops specifically, you know, 25%, I think the S&P is down or something like that, whatever it is, say their, their stocks drop 25%. You know, you know, the, the question always becomes, well, you know, I'm going to wait and see. Uh, unfortunately, when you wait and see is usually the best time to be 
investing in assets that are on sale. So um, your thought process, or at least your your talking points when you're talking to a passive investor, if they're looking to kind of deploy right now, um, how, how are you giving them over the hump or getting them comfortable with, you know, investing, you know, when their stocks are down or, or um, you know, they don't know what the future holds, man? Um, on the real estate side? Yeah. Um, I mean, for us, the deals we have been doing, um, there's just been a major focus around on, on the financing side. And so that's where most of the conversations sent around with investors is, okay, interest, you know, investors here, okay, they hear about rates, they hear that rates are up. And so really helping them understand, okay, how are we hedging ourselves there? How are we protecting ourselves there? Um, and, uh, yeah. And so there's definitely been more, more conversations and more, more time on my end spent around, Hey, this is how, this is how we're handling the financing side, which that just was, had, was been less of a focus over the last several years. Cause you know, it, debt was super cheap. Absolutely. Almost uh free money is what I've, I've heard a lot of the, the term used out there, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think that for us, and when I think about this, I mean, you know, we were back in 2017, 2018, uh, you know, interest rates were rising and pricing had to reflect that, you know, I mean, if you're not taking a bunch of risk and, and saying, hey, I got to do a bridge loan and, you know, all these rate caps and things like that, I mean, we're still locking in debt with local regional banks and, and still working with them and and uh, still making sense of, of these deals. And I do think that, like you mentioned, there will be an opportunity here. It might be fragmented, but the operators that are in the space that uh, are in those markets and have the relationships, those opportunities are going to come. I do wonder what we're going to have to do on the debt side to to get a, you know, to make it pencil, right? I mean, at, at some point, there's going to be an inflection point where um, pricing has not uh, caught back up with where interest rates are. And so do you, uh, do you make a bet that it's going to come back down or what do you do there? Um, that's a big question that uh, we always think about. And I I think that you just have to get back to cash flow consistency. And if you have to do less deals right now, that's okay. Um, but being ready uh, for an opportunity. I mean, I think back to 2020, early 2020, from April to October, you know, I mean, yes, rates were much lower then, but uh, the uncertainty was extremely high then as well. And that's when a lot of opportunities, at least we saw on the multifamily space, anything catching your eye, outside of multifamily right now? Do you like the macro trends on any other asset class or any other uh, investment vehicle in the commercial real estate space right now? Yeah. I mean, I really like mobile home parks for a lot of the same reasons that I really like multifamily. And that's, it's, there's just a shortage of, of affordable housing in this country. You can't build it uh, cheap enough to serve that, that need. And mobile home parks, it doesn't, it doesn't get any more affordable. They're not building. There are only like 14 parks were built in the U S last year. So you basically have a fixed supply um, and so I really like mobile home parks and then the, the tax advantages are also, uh, you know, it's multifamily on steroids. So mobile home parks are great. Um, I really like industrial. Um, I think there's, that's another place to be, be cautious. I'm already seeing it in some of the, the industrial deals. I'm, I'm a passive investor in, um, just, you know, because of rates, you know, um, I, I invest in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, with a, a group that builds large, you know, industrial um, buildings for Amazons and similar companies out there. And, you know, the idea is you, you build it at a six, six and a half cap, and then you go and refinance a bunch of the investor capital out. Well, 
that that doesn't work. That model doesn't work as well when when rates are are where they're at, are at right now. So um, it's still it's there's still again a ton of tailwinds there, and those deals will do well. It's, they just don't do as well whenever uh, you know you have a rising rate environment. So um, yeah, I would say for me, industrial, mobile home parks, and multifamily is where I I I focus. I don't think I have really any. Uh, any of the portfolio outside of those niche. And that's where I get my deal flow. I don't really see much deal flow outside outside of those areas because that's that's where I've really tried to cultivate uh, the relationships and deal flow. Yeah, well, I definitely uh, love all of those asset classes. So um, definitely second that. Um, awesome, man. Well, one question I always like to ask folks. I mean, you you are working hard. You're, you're building businesses. You have built businesses. Um, I know you recently had a had a child, but um, what inspires you, man? What is that burning, you know, fire? You don't do what you're doing uh, and not have something that's, you know, driving you internally uh, from an intrinsic motivation standpoint uh, all the time. Like, what is that? Um, and why do you do what you do? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it just boils down to growth. Like, you know, if I don't feel like I, I, I'm growing and progressing, then um, that's, not, that's not a good place for me. That's not a good feeling. And so I, I always need to have um, you know, a mission and, and need to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm growing. And so um, that that's kind of the underlying uh, motive for, for my life. Um, and so, you know, that, that applied to e-commerce when I was doing that and heavily focused on that. And now, you know, I've really tried to focus and channel that energy on the real estate side. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we definitely share that, you know, if I'm not growing, it doesn't feel like achievement. So um, whether that be on the golf course, whether it be as a father, as a husband, a business person, um, that's very important to me as well. So Alex, where can people find more about you and what you do? Yeah. Uh, 12oakcapital.com is uh, my website. You can um, reach me through there um, and, uh, or Alex at 12 Oak. 12oakcapital.com is my email if you want to reach out directly uh, via that way as well. Awesome. Well, I definitely recommend you guys reaching out to Alex. I love spending time with him. Uh, Alex, thanks for your time and insights, man. I, I know our listeners are going to find this valuable. I always do uh, when we speak. So I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Logan. Thank you for tuning in to Invest for the Win. If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, Don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.